Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I know Pastor Joe had uh, just prayed for the fathers, but really heavy on my heart, and I'm sure for many of you, I would like to just say a little prayer for um, the parents of those individuals that lost their lives in Orlando last week. And how could I, I mean, as a, as a father of a two-year-old child, how could we not pray for that, uh, that couple from Nebraska that lost their child this week? Um, so if you, if you wouldn't mind, just um, pray with me. Lord, Lord, we just come right now with heavy hearts for all those individuals that today, this Father's Day is a very rough day. Father, I thank you that you are the great physician, Lord, that you heal physically, you heal emotionally. Father, I ask right now that there would be just a tremendous peace and presence, Lord, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? How could you allow this to happen? Father, I ask as time goes on, Lord, time doesn't heal all wounds as, as we hear in the world. But Lord, I ask as time goes on that they would come to know that there is a real savior, that there is a real person with a real personality that can meet their needs. There is one, Christianity is the only religion where there is one who came and lived as we live here today and suffered and understood, understands today what it's like to actually be human. Lord, I pray especially for that father, Lord. That jumped in the water after his son. Lord, I, I ask that you would give him a picture that Jesus is cradling that child in his arms right now. And that that child is with you forever. And that he will see his son again. Heal their wounds, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Just a, a rough week, right? In, in, uh, especially for Orlando. A really rough week. Well, happy Father's Day uh, from me. If you have your Bibles, or I would ask that you open to the Gospel of Mark. We are in a series here. I don't know how many weeks this series is actually going to be. It, we, I always know. I don't know how long this series will be. There may be some breaks. Uh, this summer, I know there will be a couple of weeks. I won't be here in July. But I'm really not in a rush. So I hope you're along for the ride. This is part five. Uh, Pastor Tom will be here for part six next week. He's going to go ahead a little bit, and then I'm probably going to go back to a couple of uh, stories or places that um, he's skipping. So I think that's important to say. Uh, I'm not going to give a heck of a lot of background again at this point. I would ask that if you miss a message in this series, everything's kind of building. So if you miss a message, I would ask that you go listen to the podcast. So I, I can't retell all the stories. Uh, the last two weeks we kind of had, it was great to hear people even last week with those aha moments 
When we saw last week, when when Jesus healed that leper and how they really changed places at the end, it was cool that many of you got that and you saw that. And here is my main goal. The main crux of what I'm trying to do in this series is give you a picture of who Jesus really is as somebody that is not just some historical figure, right, that lived 2,000 years ago, but is a real person, lived a real life, had a real personality that we miss and that we can experience today. And what a travesty that has happened in the church because I think many people, they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus kind of just blew through life. That everything was real easy for him. Right? It was so easy. He didn't didn't have many obstacles to overcome. Maybe when he got to Gethsemane. Maybe when he got to the cross. But we really miss a lot of things. And, And just go back... To the beginning, Jesus Christ was not faking it. He was not making people think that, hey, look, I'm really a baby, I'm a young kid, I'm a, you know, adolescent. No, he really walked through the stages of life. And the incarnation is, it it was real. What a treasure, right? For us, the incarnation, the incarnation really happened, But as I did last week, I had to pull a couple of pictures, some of the artwork, what has been lost. I know it's not Christmas time, right? Unless I'm wrong. I don't think it's Christmas time. But we're a couple of months out from that. But think about the incarnation and what has truly been lost. Look at some of the pictures, right? Like, Just look at some of the pictures again. There is baby Jesus, right? How majestic he looks. And there he is in the manger. And he kind of looks like, you know, he's reassuring all of the adults there. Hey, it's going to be okay. I'm Jesus. Everything's going to be all right. You have nothing to worry about. That he had like this adult consciousness. And he's talking to everyone. There's another one for you, right? There he is. There's baby Jesus. And we kind of think, right, he's born in this, into this world. We lose part, the heart of Christianity. We lose the heart of the fact of the incarnation that God really did come in the form of man. He really did. This really happened. That Jesus Christ really lived in Mary's uterus for nine months. Did you hear what I said? He really lived in her uterus for nine months. He really came out and breastfed. He had to tie his shoes. We think, like, right, he's one years old and he's like at the dinner table and there he is, like he could talk to mom and dad. Mary, if you wouldn't mind, could you pass me the olive oil? <laughs> Joseph, if you wouldn't mind, could you pass me the lamb? It is quite sumptuous. Like they had these conversations. I think that's what people think sometimes. No, that's not real. And think about it. What was it like for him? We don't see this in the movies that they make and how they depict Jesus and how he grew up. What was it like for Jesus? I picture him as a young kid. He's six or seven years old. And what was it like when he went outside and Joseph, we know, was a carpenter. He worked more with stone than he did with wood. But they're outside. And what was it like when Joseph is there with Jesus and he's teaching him how to use a hammer and a nail? 
you imagine those, that those things happened? That really happened. He really needed a father to teach him things. The one that hung the galaxies came down in the form of a human being and lived that kind of life. The life that we live today. He lived it. But how come we miss all of that? How come we forget? Yeah, Pastor Linda, yeah. I don't know who's phone. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay, right? You don't expect the pastors to do that, right, in church? Did today. That's kind of cool, right, on Father's Day too? She's making me work a little bit harder. She's like, listen, now we've got to step up your game. You're going to get distracted today. Let's see if you can overcome that. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. So as we get into the text, though, in Mark chapter 3. Now, why am I moving? Because I spent three weeks on Mark 1. Why am I moving from Mark 1 to Mark 3? Well, first of all, uh, at the end of April, I preached a message from Mark chapter 2. Four of a kind, beats a full house. You can find it. I gave a message. I set a lot of the context, gave you the history of what really was going on with that paralytic. Now, there are other pieces to that chapter, the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. I went over two weeks ago, the aha moment of, oh my gosh, this is what it really meant when he called his disciples, that he recruited them, they didn't come after him. Same kind of story there with Matthew. So I'm rolling into three, two, and there's constant conflict as we start at the top of the chapter. We will make our way to the end of the chapter. That's where we're going to camp out today. But let's start at the top of the chapter, and there's constant conflict with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles, let's get right into it. And he entered, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Okay, what is going on here? First of all, the constant conflict that we see with the Pharisees. Did you know there were 39 types of work or activity that were not to be done on the Sabbath? And here are these teachers of the law. They have been steeped in this tradition that you follow the teachings, that you follow the Mosaic law. You follow what it says in the Old Testament. You follow Levitical law. You follow all of that to the letter of the law. That's how you are a good Jew. Right? Moral rectitude. You do the right thing in every situation. So here is Jesus. Again, you have to see his personality. As he comes on the scene, he is looking to bring freedom. He's not giving them more religion. It's antithetical to what they've experienced, what they've been exposed to. So here is a new rabbi. Here is a new teacher. And he's coming in. And look what it says here. First, anger. Yes, Jesus got angry. Righteous anger. It is not a sin. Righteous anger is not a sin. Here are these individuals. He's looking at them. Why is he angry? Because their hearts are more shriveled than the man's hand. Did you hear me? 
Their hearts are more shriveled than this man's deformed hand. And Jesus is looking at them saying, how can you miss the fact that there is somebody in your midst? You have all these laws and things that you want to follow that we're supposed to follow when somebody right in front of you needs to be healed and you miss it spiritually. You're missing the forest for the trees. And he doesn't understand that. And the second one, it says he was grieved. That is the in that word in Greek. It's the only time he says that word in the New Testament. It's the only time we hear Jesus say that. He was grieved. So at first he's angry and then he's grieved that here are these teachers of the law and how they so miss what God has come to bring and who God is. And they've missed the personality of God. They don't understand. And he's saying, look, you've totally missed the boat here. And they're so insecure and they're so anxious about all of these regulations and things that they have to follow. And you know what I love too? When it says... Is it lawful in verse four? Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He was actually asking them a question that rabbis would always ask in some form, which way preserves life? So when he says this, everybody would have understood this. And what's wild to me is, did you notice here? And this happens all in the gospels that they're always speechless, right? There are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're like, I don't know how to handle, how do we handle this guy? He's God, come down. He's the best teacher the world has ever seen. And when he says things, they have nothing to say back. There's no retort. There's nothing they can do. He always has them. Do you, Dallas Willard says, do you look at Jesus and realize what a brilliant teacher he was when he walked the face of the earth? What a brilliant teacher he still is today. Do you see his brilliance when he teaches? He can't miss that part of his personality. So Jesus is saying that. And you see here, you see the full body or a piece, I should say, of his emotions. Now, why did I underline verse six? Why did I underline this? Because this is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. And I guarantee you've never had somebody stop and talk about it. This is wild. And I kept getting bogged down in this. And I kept getting more and more into this. I underline this because I want you to see how crazy this is. First of all, You have the Pharisees who are the teachers of the law, right? You do the right thing, right? And then you have on the other side, people that were known as the Herodians. Who were the Herodians? Followers of the, of the Herod, Herod's dynasty, right? So these Herods that ruled, they ruled in Roman occupied territory. Follow me here. They brought with them wherever they went. They brought with them Greek culture. They were pagan. They were very secular. See how easy this is to miss? You have here, let me put it in terms that you'll understand. We have the red states and the blue states coming together. Like if you have Trump and you have Clinton and they're coming together and they're looking to get rid of Jesus. Do you see how wild this would have been in society? They hated each other. The Pharisees wanted nothing to do with the Herodians. Look what the Herodians are doing to society. They're trying to bring their culture in. Look what they're doing. Both sides had utter disdain for each other. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he's not long into his earthly ministry. And right away, do you see the opposition? It's right here. They're seeking how they might destroy him. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus Christ really went through. Real human being and everybody, their ire was against him. They want to snuff him out. How can we take this Jesus out? 
They don't agree on anything, but they agree on that one thing. All right. Now, seven through nine. Stay with me. Stay with me. But Jesus withdrew after that with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And from Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea and beyond the Jordan. And those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude. Lest they should crush him. So here he is, and let me show you a map. Let me, let me give you, because you read this, look at all the areas. Now, you have Gentile areas where it says Tyre and Sidon right here. Let me show you on a, let me show you on, where am I going here? Oops, I went the wrong way. Da, 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 da. There we go. Let me, it's kind of hard for you to see the map, but here is, if I point here on this map, this is like the Sea of Galilee region, and up here you have Tyre and Sidon, all the way down here, you have Jerusalem. Why am I pointing this out to you? Let me teach a little bit, and then I'll, we'll, we'll get into some more fun stuff. It's important for you to see, though, when you read this text, people are coming from a 100-mile radius. Do you hear what I said? People are coming from a 100-mile radius. And we were in Israel last summer. How, how long did it take? A couple of hours, right, to get to Jerusalem from where we were, the Sea of Galilee? That's with a bus. That was with a bus. I ever tell you too, we were on the, it was on the Sabbath, right? Jewish Sabbath. And there was some kid that came out and he was throwing rocks at our, he hit our, our bus with a rock because we were actually working. We're on a bus, you know, we're breaking the laws of the Sabbath. It was pretty wild. I mean, that was one of my favorite moments of the trip, actually. People were afraid. I was like, this is pretty cool, getting pelted by rocks. It doesn't get better than that. All right. So people are coming, right? People are coming. From this great radius to see Jesus, you have to see the, the Gentile areas like Tyre and Sidon. They're, they're multi-ethnic. They're multi-racial areas. It doesn't matter what the color of people's skin is. It doesn't matter if male, female. It doesn't matter who they are. They want to get close to this Jesus. I would say, scholars you know, assert, this is probably the height of his popularity. Jesus Christ this is the height of his popularity. So on one side you have, you have the teachers and the Herodians, they want to kill him. And then the other side, you have all the people that want to get to him. Now, take this a step further. What does this mean? He's healing all types of diseases. We've been seeing that since chapter one. What was it like? I'm thinking this week, I'm going, what was it like to be a doctor when Jesus is on the face of the earth for these three years? Do you ever think about that? He's healing all these diseases, blind, mute, necks, necks. Now, he's healing cancer. You name it. He's healing all these diseases. I imagine it was a place. He's trying to show us what shalom looks like. Jesus was trying to show us there one day will be a world where there is no sickness and there is no pain. He comes in and he's healing everybody. What was that like? The master is on the scene and it's kind of easy to miss. So people are coming from all different areas. And again, we miss this part. Look what it says at the end. He told his disciples a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. Crush him. Have you ever been in a crowd? Have you ever been in a sporting event and you worried you were, you were fearful for your life and it got really crazy? Can you imagine what it was like? Again, real human being. What was it like for Jesus Christ when he came on the scene and all of these people, throngs of people are trying to get his attention and they want to be healed? What was that like for him? You could turn the air conditioning on, by the way. I see people like waving there. I don't think it's on. It is on? It's not working too well. Okay, that's all right. 
So what was it like? What was it like in that respect? All right, now, let me hone in. Now that I, I got through that, let's get to the really good stuff. You ready? Okay. Last, last part of the text here, starting in verse 13, moving down to the end. After this, right? So he's healed all these people. The Herodians, the Pharisees want to take him out. What does he do? Goes up on a mountainside. Prays. He's going to pick his apostles. He went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the the name Peter. A lot of you skip through these probably when you read the Bible, right? All the names. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boenerges. That is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, by the way, right? He just like throws that in there in the end. By the way, in case you didn't know, Judas is the guy, right? He's the one who betrayed him. Now, this is interesting. Jesus then is taking them up on the mountain. And what is he doing? He's giving them new names, right? Giving them new names. They had their names. And what's easy to miss, you probably passed through this a million times. And it's another reason why I'm kind of camping out here. Because names in the ancient world were very important. And naming was an act of importance and power. And actually, the more names that you had, the more powerful, the more prestigious you were. Right? You were a multi-dimensional character. If you had three names, people looked at you as somebody that was very important. And you may say, yeah, maybe back then names are really important, but names aren't that important today. Right? Does it really matter? Maybe those people in the ancient world were very superstitious. And I would say, you are 100% wrong. Do you know how much money consulting firms are paid to come up with product names, company names? Right? Go to, go to New York City. Just, I mean, the amount of money, the vast amounts of money that people will spend, companies will spend, but it's not just companies and it's not just products. It's actually people. People. Now, here you go. Ready? Okay. Let me give you some examples. Does anybody know the name Demetria Goins? Anybody know the name Demetria Goins? Did you ever hear, hear that name before? Did you ever hear of it? All right. Demi Moore. All right. That's Demi Moore. How about this one? Why did Marion Michael Morrison change his names? Anybody know? Marion Michael Morrison. I see one hand over here. See a couple of hands over here. Good old John Wayne, right? How can you have a cowboy named Marion? Well, I guess you could today, but really, I mean, when I'm thinking like, when I'm thinking of like a cowboy, I'm thinking of like Clint Eastwood. Right? You're thinking like Clint with that like voice, that deep voice. That's what I'm thinking of. Or how about this one? Reginald Dwight. Reginald Dwight. Anybody know that name? Very good. We have some Elton John fans in the room. Can't have it. You see a singer. Hey, what's your name? He comes up in auditions. Yeah, I'm Reginald Dwight. Uh, we're going to change that name if you're any good. Right? We're not going to use that name. Why would somebody, why did all these individuals, why did they change their names? Because to reinvent themselves, they had to change their name. Because when you change your name, it has power, right? To change your name. There's something about that that's very important. Stay with me. Now, I, let, let, me, let me bring it down a little bit now. Think about when you have kids, you, you parents in the room. What happens when you get a pet? I had a moment two weeks ago, badgered by my six-year-old, soon-to-be-seven-year-old, Jameson. I want a pet. I want a pet. 
I want to pet. You know, right, parents, you with me? How many of you got just beat down by your kids about getting a pet? And you eventually, at some point, you just kind of gave in, right? So in a moment of weakness, I decided we would get a pet. And the pet was going to be, most of you get dogs, you get cats, <laughs> all right? You get pets like that, right? This kid wanted a red-eyed tree frog. How many of you know Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the movie? If I left it up to this kid, he would have the house full of animals. There would be snakes, there would be other reptiles, amphibians. I don't even know what classification all these things are. But I'd have frogs all over the house. So this kid wants a red-eyed tree frog. I go to the pet store, I'm like, dude, I don't even know. Red-eyed tree frog, you probably don't have one. Oh, yeah, I have a red-eyed tree frog, right? Yeah, from the Amazon. This guy over here, and I'm looking, I'm like, he's actually pretty cool, right? And then, and then the guy says, to, I, I said, well, he wants just a pet he can kind of play with. I want as little maintenance as possible because I'm going to probably wind up taking care of the pet. Parents, you with me on this, right? So he says, you can't really play with this guy because he secretes certain things that's not good for you. And I'm like, we're not getting this thing. So he said, but I really want that guy. You can't play with him. You can't play with the frog. Did you hear the man? Don't listen to me. Listen to the man right here. So I kind of like looked at the guy and I'm like, like I gave him the eyes like, you better step up quick and you better find a pet that I can walk out of here with, right? Otherwise this place is going to the ground. No, I wasn't thinking that, but... So he says, you know what you need? You need like a gecko. I'm like, a gecko? Like the gecko commercial gecko guy? I'm like, really? That's what I'm going to, like, that's the kind of pet we're going to have? So he shows him the thing, and eventually he starts to get really into it, right? We eventually, long story short, we buy this little guy. And and so we get in the car, and I'm like, all right, Jameson, what are you going to name him? This is a, a huge moment in your life. You're bringing this pet home, right? You know what he named his little gecko friend? His crested gecko, by the way. I'm like, yeah, Jameson the gecko. He's like, no, daddy, the crested gecko. Oh, thanks. That's great. I needed to know he was a crested gecko. I don't care what kind of gecko it is. I just care that he lives more than five months, all right, before I have to get a new gecko, right? You with me? Yeah. So he calls him Sticky. Calls him Sticky. So I call him Stinky a lot. You know, Poppy, Pastor Joe, we kind of say that to him. And he's always, daddy, it's not Stinky. It's Sticky, right? Torture the kid just like my brother tortured me when I was a child. But we don't have time for that because I'm delivering a sermon right now. But... You think about that. Why do we do that? Why do we give our kids... Why do we tell them, you have to name this pet? It's your pet. Because we want to give them some sense of responsibility. Are you with me? Did you ever go... I have to do it. Did you ever look in the beginning of the Bible? Did you go to Genesis? Did you ever look in the beginning of the Bible? When God creates man, right? This amazing moment. From the dust of the ground, creates man. And then he says, all right, Adam... You are the man, literally, because he was the only man that's there. You are going to name animals, right? He's like, you're going to name the animals. Can you imagine what that scene... Again, you've got to read the Bible like this. What was that scene like when God is like, behind door number one, and he rolls out these animals, and then there is Adam right there, and he's kind of looking at it, and he's like, uh, how about duck-billed platypus, Right? And he keeps, come on, this really happened. This, I'm not making, this is in the Bible. It's in Genesis. And he keeps going. Then he's like, all right, how about rhinoceros? And there's an angel. I kind of I picture an angel like sitting down and he's writing all this down. And he's like, God, how do you spell that? How do we spell, really? God, really? This is, the guy wants to call this a hippopotamus? What is a hippopotamus? How are we going to call it this? This guy's out of his mind. He's crazy. And there's God, and he's trying to tell Adam, it's all right, Adam, it's okay. And there's Adam, he's tired, he's worked, and he's, he's named all these animals. And then by the end, it's, it's the simple stuff, right? He's like, it's dog, 
And then, you know, I love it. God says, well, that's my name backwards. And then, right, last thing is, right, he brings this one animal out. And you know my disdain for this animal. The cat comes out. He names it a cat. And can't you just picture God standing there? I didn't make that thing. Where is that thing from? I didn't make this creature. Can't stand cats. Sorry, you cat. Barbara, I know I'm going to get it after the meeting. I really do love them. No, I don't. But what it is, what's true, I have to be honest. I can't lie to you, right? You want me to say I love cats? Oh, I love cats. Oh, I love them. I don't love them, right? All right. So there they are, though, right? And it's so interesting when they're there. But, and having said all that, how about when we name our kids, right? How about when we name our kids? I'm a teacher at a high school, so it's kind of neat when I have like 150 names every year that I roll through, and it's like first day, and I'm like, like this year I had a kid, great kid, and I'm like... Heaven. Uh, heaven? Is heaven here today? How are we doing, heaven? And then I'd say, I'm not, listen, listen, as, there are other teachers in the room, they can tell you, you get names sometimes and you have to keep a straight face. That's tough for me. It's not easy, right? Heaven. Yeah, I want this, so t- this year I did, I, I want the story. Where did this come from, right? It's a beautiful name. You go on and on, right? Give me the story. Kid gives me the story. Parents, right? You know what, you know what, you're, you know what I'm talking about. And some of you have done. You pick a name and you're saying, I want to pick a beautiful name. I want my child to live up to this name. How many of you, right? You with me? I want the kid to live up to this name. This is a strong name. This is a biblical name. My kid is going to live up to this name, right? You with me? Yeah, yeah. So we do that. We give them these names, but we're really, in a sense, impotent to, to bring about change. We can't make things happen. We think we can just by naming a child and saying, this is their name, that they're going to grow up and be this great you know, man or this great woman. We're really powerless in a sense. How about this? There was a great book that was written probably about a decade ago, Freakonomics. It was a New York Times bestseller. And my favorite chapter in the book, and I use it in my sociology classes, is a chapter, What's in a Name? It talks about names. They have all these anthropologists and sociologists, and they're talking about names. Can I, let me give you a truth. This is a true story. In 1958, there was a man by the name of Robert Lane. He has five children. Wife is pregnant. Child number six is coming out. Honey, what are we going to name the child? Robert says, I know. We're going to name him Winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Child number six was named Winner. I'm not done. They have another child, their final child. This is number seven. We have Winner over here, number six. Let's name number seven Loser. Loser. True story, right? Winner over here. And you would think, now listen, this is the the best part of the story. You would think Winner actually turned out to be this great guy, right? Winner had a rap sheet, got arrested over 30 times, burglary, you know, all these different things, all these crimes. He was in and out of jail. And Loser, who now goes by the name of Lou, was a detective, actually a sergeant in the, in the, uh, in the city, went to a prestigious prep school, really smart guy, a decorated police officer in New York City. So you would think Winner made it, and you would think Loser's down here, but it's actually flipped. We think we have more power than we actually do just by giving somebody a name. You could buy a piece, listen to me, you could buy a piece of land or you could take your house, your area and say, and get a sign made by somebody. Go to Alley Cat's sign up the road and, and, and have on the sign, this is Peace Lake. Remember that? I remember as a kid, now I'm still, I'm, I still have scars from this one. 
You ready for this? Do you remember where you took us when we were kids? We went to a place. Now, some of the older people in this room, you know, what? Camp Hope, right? Camp Hope is where I lost hope, okay? Oh, I, I, the story, the things I remember, Pastor Joe, my dad, uh, almost got electrocuted in one of these. I wouldn't even call it like, I, I don't even write those. What did you keep us, barracks? I mean... I have to be good. I want to say things I can't say, um, but it was not that, it was not very, the water was gross. I'll never forget there were like water snakes and I saw a snake going across the water one time and I'm like, is that normal? Is this normal? Camp Hope and you go there and you're supposed to touch God in this beautiful place. I didn't like it. I didn't touch God in that place. No, it actually pushed me. I'm kidding. It was a nice place. But you know, you can come up with a name for something, but just because you name something, you give it a name, You could still have strife. There could still be turmoil. Just because we give something a name doesn't mean it actually changes. But, but, now let's get serious. With God, it is so different. Think about what God does in Genesis, right? He creates things. He creates light. Let there be light. God, in his omnipotence, God doesn't then go on. He says, let there be light. God didn't have to go over and say, all right, I'm going to make light now. Watch this, angels. I'm going to make light. Light just happened. He created something out of nothing. Are you following me? He called something that was nothing. He called it into being. He called reality out. What do we do? We describe things. We give names. We describe something. I'm calling you whatever. Like the kid's sticky. That's your name. We give kids names. Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Jesus, when Jesus was here, he was determining God. When he is in God in the beginning in Genesis, he is determining reality. He is calling things that are not as if they were. He's calling them into existence. When Jesus is on the mountain, now I'm going to preach a little bit. When Jesus is on the mountain, he is calling them out. He's saying, listen, you may think that's what your name was that was given to you at birth. We don't choose our name. We don't choose our nationality, right? You don't choose these things. But he's saying, I'm giving you a name, a new identity that you can carry around. It's rooted in who I am, and it's rooted in what I've done. He determines what things are. And I love this. When you go back, uh, in verse, in verse uh, 14, oops, sorry, Demi. Where, where am I go- what am I doing? I'm hitting the wrong button. There it is, in 14. When it says that he appointed 12, it's interesting. In Greek, that word appointed means created. It connotes a piece of artwork. It connotes a beautiful, think of a landscape, a piece of art. Think of like the Mona Lisa. That's what this is saying here, that he is creating a piece of art. And he's saying, you don't have what it takes when I'm giving you this name change. But guess what? I will give you what it takes to become that which I've called you to be. Did you hear what I said? God looks at us as children of God. God looks at us and says, you're my children, you're my son, you're my daughter. We're called into the kingdom. And then sometimes you look at it and say, how come I'm not everything I think I should be? I'm not everything the Bible says I'm supposed to be. And I would say to us today, it's because we're a work in process. We have to grow into it. Do you think, look at Peter, how impestuous Peter was. Peter, is, he's, he's so thick-headed, this, right? This follower, how, how thick-headed he was. He denies Jesus three times. He, he changes his name to Rock. He's, he's the original Rocky. Call him Rocky. 
So you look at Rocky and how he fails all the time. He sinks like a rock when he's trying to walk on the water. The guy fails time and time again. Jesus called him Peter. You shall be Peter. But he had to grow into his name. It was going to take time. It wasn't something that was just going to happen overnight. And you know what you miss here? Can I give you a piece of a facet of Jesus's personality if you're ready to fall asleep? Let me give you a piece of his personality. We miss his humor in this story. You missed his humor. Huh, you're going, really? Do you see the nicknames, right? Just look at some of the nicknames. The fact that he calls, he calls him Peter, right? The fact that he changes his name and calls, he's the least rocky of all of them. He's the guy that's constantly getting in trouble. He's the guy that denies him. You have to see the humor in this. And then how about James and John, the sons of thunder, right? You have to see how come, how many of you love people that, that make you laugh? All right, you love people that make you laugh. Like my sister is here. My sister, oh, I love to be around my sister because she always makes me laugh. My brother-in-law, he's not here. But he always makes me laugh. I love to be around people that make me laugh. Love to have fun, Right? How come we have a sense of humor? Do you, and you miss this. How come we have a sense of humor? Because God has a sense of humor. Because Jesus had a sense of humor when he walked the face of the earth. Stop reading the stories in the Gospels as if Jesus was some mannequin. And he walked around and he wasn't real. He was not some character. He had a sense of humor. Look, can I go back to creation again? Think about it. Did you ever just look at some of the animals that live on this earth? Have you ever seen an ostrich up close? Look at an ostrich. Let me show you a picture. Look at an ostrich up close. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Oh yeah, God doesn't have a sense of humor. You don't think they were kind of laughing? Look at this guy. Let's call he's an, Adam calls him an ostrich. Oh, look at this guy. How about a hippopotamus? Look at his tail in proportion to the rest of his body. Right? You didn't think that was... I think it's hysterical. Look at his little tail. Look at this guy. He's this monstrosity. And then he's got this little, like, tail. Come on. How come we've missed God's sense of humor? You know what we get in the Gospels? We get the stories, but we know we miss the in-between time. What do you think they said of Peter? You're the rock. Yeah, he's going to build his church on you, buddy. Yeah, sure. We miss all the little nuances. What was it like in the in-between time? James and John, he called them the sons of thunder. We don't know why scholars debate this. I mean, I think maybe, maybe mom was actually the sons of literal thunder. Because she would go up. She was quite assertive too. Hey, Jesus, can can my boys, one sit on your right, one sit on your left? You think you can make that happen? But here are these guys too. I think they were loud. I think they were bombastic. And I think they entertained Jesus all the time. There they are, right? Do you remember this moment? Can I give you a couple of moments to really show you his personality? Is that all right? How about this? They're in a Samaritan village and they're unwelcome. And there are James and John. Jesus, would thou have us call down fire from heaven and consume everybody here? Can you imagine what she, his reaction? I think he laughed. I think Jesus was like, are these guys kidding me? Are you really see it? Go ahead, guys. Let me see it. Just like Elijah from the Old Testament. Let me take a seat. Go ahead, boys. Take over. You don't read that in the story, but what was that really like? He has a personality, a sense of humor. How about in John 1? Can I give you one more? I wasn't going to include this one. I don't have a PowerPoint, right? You want one more? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't a very enthusiastic, but... In John 1, right? 
Jesus calls uh, Philip. He calls Philip to be his follower. And there's Philip, and Philip follows. Immediately after Philip follows, what does he do? He goes to get Nathaniel. We don't know if Nathaniel's scholars debate, is it his brother, is it his buddy, whatever. We'll say it's his brother. We don't know for sure. He gets Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, I found him. The Messiah, the one that Moses said, this is the one, this is the guy. He's the guy from Nazareth. And there's Nathaniel, and he's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth is like low lives, degenerates. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? But he takes him along, right? He takes him along, and there's Jesus. He sees Jesus, Jesus sees them from a distance. They're coming, and he looks at Nathaniel. You know what he says? There's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. There is no guile. And then Nathaniel's like, says, you can read this. He's like, do you know me? Like, do you ever like somebody says something to you and you're like, Rabbi? He's like, dude, do we know each other? Because I don't think we ever, I don't think I know you that well. Uh, really? Right? So then he says back to him, he says, Jesus says, he says, how do you know me? And then Jesus says back to him, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Right? I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And then what does Nathaniel say? Nathaniel says, oh my gosh, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says right after, go read it in John 1, the end of chapter 1. And then Jesus says, you believe me because I told you I saw you sitting under a fig tree? That's why you think I'm the Messiah? Oh, Nathaniel, that's good, tiger. Yeah, come on, come with me. Come follow me. You haven't seen anything yet because I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to still a storm with my words. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to do things that, you know, that are going gonna to blow your mind. You have to see this man had a sense of humor. I had a little carry away there. Now, can we get to the real deep stuff? Can we go, can we go to the, move from the shallow end a little bit to the deep end as we conclude a couple of minutes here? Now, I want you to see this story of the naming of the, of the apostles here. What's really interesting to me is Jesus is getting at where do you find your identity? You have to look at this. He's renaming them because he's looking at them and he's looking at us today. And Jesus is asking us today, where do you get your identity from? We live in a world, Dan Allender, a Christian psychologist, in, in a, a really great book, he said this, I was thinking of it this morning, he says in one of his books, we have been written on from the outside. Our culture, the world in which we live in, writes on us and tells us what our identity is supposed to be. You see, we live in a world where we can find our identity in our family, we can find our identity in money, we can find our identity in our job, we can find our identity, all these different things, in sex, you name it, we can find our identity. And what Jesus is saying here is, you have to find your identity in me. Because when the storms of life come, when things come against you, the only thing that will sustain you is if you have a solid core and I'm really living on the inside and you have an identity that is rooted in me. Because if your identity is rooted in me, you can have a lot of money and be okay. You can live in poverty and be okay. Things can be really good, you're on the top of the mountain. Things can be really bad and you're on the bottom of the mountain. Your identity has to be rooted in me. And I was thinking about it. How many of you have watched this OJ uh, five-part series? Yeah, I guess, all right, so you're one of your pastors. I'm one of the only ones that have... But I, watched, I watched every part. Last night, I finished it. I watched every single part. Riveting. Riveting. And I'm not taught... Listen, I'm not getting into what, innocent or guilty. That's not what I'm, why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing up the show because what was so interesting to me and the most depressing or the saddest part of it, I mean, it's chilling, it's haunting, it's it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, series I've ever seen. 
And what was really fascinating to me was, here is a guy who is this amazing athlete, right? He's garnered all of this glory on you know, athletic fields. And people, they love, OJ, oh my gosh, OJ this, OJ that. OJ, the saddest part for me was, he really didn't know who he was. Last night in, in the last part, people were like, I didn't like this guy. I don't like this guy. And then they would meet him. And then his close friends would say, oh, he OJ'd you. You got OJ'd. You got juiced. You got juiced. I'm sorry. You got juiced. Because he didn't even know who he was. That was the saddest part for me. And you know, I've read things. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said this about athletes. You die two deaths. What is it like for an athlete or an entertainer when you're done and you no longer have that? It's no longer your career. What are you left with? There's no self. And I'm sorry to say, we live in a world where we chase all these things down and then when they're taken away from us, which they will at some point, they will be taken away, what is left? All that will stand is what we put on solid rock, a solid foundation to know Him, to know who He is, to have our identity grounded in Him. And listen, I'm on the path just like you. It is not easy, but I'll tell you, at the end of the day, all I want to do is to know Him. I want to know Him more. I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. I don't want to have my identity you know, uh, rooted in just being a, a people pleaser. At school, my, how I teach, how I teach in front of you, what I do and getting approval. I don't want my identity to be rooted in those things. In things that are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Why do we keep chasing all these things down that don't really give us eternal satisfaction? Chief end of man is to enjoy God forever. The chief end of man, chase God down and enjoy Him forever. That's what we were made for. Why do we run from that? Come on, can I really just talk to you? Can we just have a conversation? Why do we run from that? That's what we were created for. We were created to know Him, to experience Him. It's been tough for me as a preacher as of late. I don't know, everywhere I go, no one wants to talk about Him. And I'm not one of those guys, you know me. I'm not, one of those, I'm not a super spiritual guy. But I'm around places, I'm around people, and I'm like, does, does, is Jesus real to you at all? Do you want to talk about him? Because I don't really care about all this other stuff. Hey, listen, tonight at 9 o'clock, I'll be watching the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavs. I'm not reading my Bible tonight, let me tell you that. I'm sitting in front of the TV set, and I'm watching a game. Listen, but it doesn't, you live in this world, it doesn't mean I'm super spiritual. What's wrong with people? Why would they watch a game? But listen... When are we going to be a people that really talk about important stuff? Stuff that really matters. And I meet people over and over again. And people, it's like, I'm not talking about going to church. Are you with me? I'm not talking about you just coming to church. These, you know what's interesting? You know how you get a new name? Let me just, I'm moving away from my, you know how you get a new name? You live with him. These apostles didn't say, Jesus, can I come here Friday at five o'clock and have an appointment with you? Jesus, what does your calendar look like? They lived with him. They lived with him 24-7. How about us? What are we doing? How can we create more time in our lives? And you said, oh, here we go. Here goes the preacher. It's the truth. I don't know what else to say. I can't say this when I'm out there. I'm in conversations with people and I want to go, how's your spiritual, how's your walk going? But people don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about all this trivial stuff that doesn't mean anything. It's totally meaningless at the end of the day. We have to be a people that have our identities rooted in Christ Jesus. You know what he says here? Give me a little, give me five more minutes. 
Look what he says here. The Bible tells us in Revelation that we're going we're to get a new name. We're going to get a new name. Just like the apostles, you and I, we're going to get a new name. Ready? Look, let me show you. Oh, there it is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manatee. Here it is. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Are you kidding me? What the heck? And scholars debate this, what this means. But at the end of the day, where are people? We will receive a new name that is known only to God and us. And you're going, what? really? Yes. Just like the apostles were given a new name, we will have a name. We will have that kind of relationship where God will know us. Think about the uniqueness of this. Of all of the people, of all the people on this planet, that every single one of us will be given a name. And I know you're sitting there going, I want my name, man. Tell me what's my name. Right? You want to know. And I would say to you, if you went home tonight and prayed, God, can you give me my name? I want to know what my name is. And you got it. And it was written down on a piece of paper. Say somehow, like this amazing moment, and somehow it was written down on a piece of paper. And you're like, that's my name. And you're like, all right. You would take that name. You couldn't, Peter got his name. It took forever for him to grow into being the rock Christ could build the church on. We grow into the name that God has given us and we have all eternity to grow into that. But I'm here to tell you, that's how much he loves us that he gives each of us a unique name. And how do you learn this? How do you learn how to get this name? Do you notice when he took the, the, the apostles up there? You notice he names not five, not eight, not twelve. He names twelve. He names twelve. Why? Because they would have known he's bringing us up on the mountain. He's reconstituting a new nation. This is what Moses did. He brought the twelve tribes and he brought them up on a mountain. Right? And he did the same thing. He said, look, um, God is creating a new nation. God's creating a nation here. Jesus is reconstituting that. And he's saying, look, I'm creating a new community. And out of this deep community, where we share our lives together, we will come to know what our name is and who we are. You will never find out what your name is. Listen, if you're going, it's too ethereal for me. I would say that you'll never find out. We will never find out what our names are if we don't get in the midst of real community. We won't. Can I give you an example? All right. As a speaker, when I first started speaking, somebody said, you need to listen to, like, this is years ago. Somebody said, you need to listen to your messages. And I was like, oh. And I did it a couple times and I would cringe. Do you ever listen to your own voice? I used to, or when I used to make, I used to, you're going to find this hard to believe. When I was really young, I would make like these prank phone calls and I would call these places and I would tape the conversations, right? Do you ever do things like that? That was Jimmy, my split personality. And he would come out once in a while and he'd want to play and whatever. Don't get scared. I'm, I'm kidding around. I'm not being serious right now, right? So but do you ever hear your own voice? Do you ever get like, you cringe? I'm like, oh, I see kids that I'm teaching, they make like these videos or whatever and they cringe when they hear their own voice. Did you know, I was looking this up, do you know you don't even hear your own voice with your ears? You hear your own voice with the bones in your neck. And you, oh, yeah, and you always, when you hear your voice, it always sounds whiny. Do you ever, oh my gosh, is that really what I sound like? What you need, but when you have other people around you and people can go, yeah, man, that's your voice. That's your voice. 
That's who you are. That's you. You see, spiritually speaking, we need other people around us to point things out that know our flaws, that know things about us that we can't see because we're going, is that really my voice? And somebody goes, listen, that's your voice. This is something that God really has to work on you with. This is something, so I'm asking us, we need to give people a green light in our lives to really tell us the truth. Do you want to hear the truth? No, you don't want to hear the truth. But if we're to grow into what our new name is, we need other people that will help us, that will, that will tell us things that are hard to hear. You can play the fun Christianity game and everything's great. Everything's awesome. You can sing your songs and you can just lie to each other and go on and do that for perpetuity. You can do that. But where the rubber meets the road is where we really tell each other the truth. And then finally, really, I'm really closing now. Charles Spurgeon, the second thing, how do we really, I said it before, but we really need to sit at Jesus' feet. I don't know why we make this so complicated. These disciples lived with Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher from the 19th century, he preached a sermon one time on the, the parable of the prodigal son, right, in Luke 15. He preached a sermon on three words, right, the three words. You know when the the father runs out and he kisses the prodigal son? You know what he preached on? And kissed him. That was his sermon. Those three words. And this is what Spurgeon said in this really... I was arrested when I read this. this. In this sermon, he said, Some of us know what it is like to be too happy to live. The love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight because we could endure no more. Music team, you can come up. If God had not shielded his love and glory a bit, we believe we could not have stood it. How many of us in here would say, this is what our relationship, have you ever had a moment like this? Where you were so overcome with God's love for you and who he is, how much he loves you. And those moments that you're just like, man, they literally, they literally take your breath away because you can't even control it. And this, the triune God, the omnipotent God, the God that is everywhere, the God, that God looks at us and says, I want a relationship with you. That God loves us. That God gives us a new name. That God wants to live with us. There are moments in my life, and I want more of them. I want more moments like this. Where I really sit, I just want to sit at his feet and get to know him more. I'm never going to die and say, man, I spent too much time in his word. I spent too much time reading. I spent too much time in community. I spent too much time at Hill Houses. I spent too much time helping those people. I'm never going to say that. Those are the ways in which I learn the name that God has given me, my unique name. Those are the ways. And C.S. Lewis, finally, he says, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father in his son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. So it is. And he chooses us. You know what I was thinking too? As we come to this table, I was thinking, those disciples, their names are like etched in people's minds forever, right? They're never going to go away. They're famous, those people. Kings and queens though, their names, people, you know, some, they don't remember every, all of them. These guys, their names are there forever. 
And God says to you today, and he says to me, you can have the same exact story. And you say, I didn't do anything. No, God is looking for a people that will come and sit at his feet. He's looking for people. He's called us. He's called us out. He gives us a new name. And he's saying, please, I want to dine with you. This is why he went to the cross. So he could be with us. Not that we could just know about him, that we could actually know him and his personality. Don't you want to know him today? Don't you want to know more about his personality? Well, Father, I ask as we conclude and as we come to this table, as we come to communion, Father, I ask that you speak to every heart in this room. Speak to everyone, Lord, that feels as if they don't have a destiny. That the evil one, Lord, we come against the evil one that is that has tried to steal and to kill and to destroy destinies in here. God-given destinies. Father, let everybody in here see how unique they are, how favored they are, Lord, and how meaningful, how you treasure all of us, how you've called all of us, not some of us. Because of what you did on that cross, Lord, we can come into a relationship with you. Father, I ask as we continue this series that we really, really would know you in a deeper, a fuller way, that we'd have a new spirit of wisdom and revelation that would overtake us. Father, I ask that you would just come alive off the pages of scripture as we move through. Yes, we see you as a miracle worker, Lord. We see you as God in control over everything. But Lord, I don't want to lose your humanity. Lord, I don't want to lose the fact that you really came 2,000 years ago. You really came in the form of a baby that grew up in this world. Father, may we not lose that because we've lost that in the church. You were fully God and you were fully man. Come alive for us here. As only you can do, Spirit of the living God, move on our hearts. Move on us as we leave here. Father, may we not move away from it. May we just, everywhere we go, may we want more of you. May we want to talk about you. May we not get so caught up. Wake us up to the trivial conversations, the things that we're chasing down, how we've rooted our identity in things that are not of you. Good things, Lord, but how we've made them idols and how we've made them the thing in our lives. Good things, Lord, but not the greatest thing. Lord, the greatest thing that we can have and know is to experience you way to truth. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.